0: Would you like to learn how to shoot? I can't already. Oh, I saw. It's very American. Fire enough bullets and hope to hit the target. <laughs> Hey folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac in the Movies. I hope you're all doing well and staying healthy out there in these crazy times. Today we have a special episode. I'll be taking a look at the comic book based film, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The infamous League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And it saddens me because the graphic novel, the first volume anyway, was actually good. It told an intriguing story with a rich cast of characters. One detail that is vital to understanding the film is that it's based off of the preliminary treatment by Alan Moore. The graphic novel was only in its early stages when producer Don Murphy was given the basic premise by Moore, and Murphy swooped in to buy the film rights. This goes a long way to explain why the graphic novel and the film ended up being so different in the story presented. With that established, let's dive into the movie. Oh, we're, we got movies! No! Oh. who is the Phantom is trying to start a war between England and Germany. In response, the British government has requested that various outcasts be united to put an end to the Phantom's intentions. Recluse hunter Alan Quartermain teams up with the mysterious science pirate Captain Nemo, blood-sucking chemist Mina Harker, the unstable Dr. Henry Jekyll, transparent thief Rodney Skinner, as well as Dorian Gray and American spy Tom Sawyer. The team heads to Venice to stop the Phantom's scheme to sink the city. En route, there are incidents that hint at the presence of a spy for the Phantom. Who could the traitor be, and who exactly is the Phantom? Alan Moore has been the writer of some of the most significant pieces of comic literature or graphic novels for you anal-retentive bastards, yet his works have failed to be properly brought to the movie screens with success. He was very critical of films like V for Vendetta and Watchmen. He's repeatedly refused to have his name credited, as well as any financial compensation for his work being adapted. This demand for disconnect can be linked back to this particular film, which was horrendously brought to the screen. I'm a fan of Moore's graphic novel, and the film remains one of my disappointing experiences with films based on his work. There was some great material to be used here with a solid cast of European talent, yet a terrible script and making this a brainless summer blockbuster would hasten this film's box office death. In addition, there was tension between star-slash-producer Sean Connery and director Stephen Norrington, along with production halted after immense flooding damaged the sets. The concept presented by Moore that some of Victorian literature's greatest characters could be a group of superheroes is an interesting idea. Using classic works like Dracula, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea made for an edgy way to introduce these characters to a new wave of fans. If you check out the anecdotes of Jess Nevins, you'll see how much work writer Moore and artist Kevin O'Neill put into their comic. Unfortunately, strong source material and great actors can't save a badly scripted film. There was little depth given to the characters, adding to the rushed feeling of the film— The mid-movie twist lacks impact because it feels random and the Phantom was a poor substitute villain for Fu Manchu. Tom Sawyer feels like he was just put in to try to get Americans into screenings. One of the bigger problems I have with the film was the way they present Dorian Gray and the dynamic of his portrait. Regarding the film, uh, if Dorian sees his painting, the effects will transfer to him. This is just plain wrong to anyone who's read the Oscar Wilde classic. The whole point of the picture of Dorian Gray was for him to actually see his painting, to see the consequences of his actions and how they affect his soul. It serves as a warning of what dreadful fate awaits Gray when he's no longer immortal. The little fighting in the graphic novel makes the blockbuster approach by the filmmakers a head-scratcher. In the source material, the group is more of a team of detectives and spies. They investigate and recon their target. There was very little action in the first volume, save for some fights with henchmen and a climactic fight in the skies over London. This made the action mean more to the reader and to the plot. The film is a special effects reel with loud, booming audio. There is nothing other than excess. It seems there is a rhythm for every seven or eight minutes. There needs to be an action scene thrown in. Africa, Dorian's house, Venice, and the ruins of Mongolia all have edit heavy action sequences. Brains were replaced with brawn. The effects of the film were felt in the aftermath. Connery quit acting. Norrington refused to continue to work in Hollywood. Alan Moore's name would no longer appear in films based on his work. Producer Don Murphy would bring us the Transformers films. It it brought bitter fruit. If there was one good thing to come out of this, it's the DVD commentary featuring Don Murphy, Shane West, Tony Kieran, and Jason Fleming. Curran and Fleming are absolutely hilarious as they tell stories of outside of the film production. Me and Nazir used to go to this Indian restaurant, and um, sometimes we'd, um, I, I would arrive, and uh, I hadn't actually been to the restaurant with Nazir at this point, and I was sort of a bit, a bit messy. I would just come back from work covered in paint and stuff, and I said to the guy, excuse me, I'd like to book a table for four people, and he's like that. Oh, I, I don't know if that's possible. I said, well, we're very busy. I said, well, can I have a table by the window? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. I said, well, maybe just a table for, you know, nine o'clock. He went, well, possibly, but I don't know beside the window. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, whatever you can, my friend, I'd appreciate it. So I get there, and it's like, with Nazareer Shah, it'd be like walking into, I don't know, uh, some club in New York in, in the 70s with Marlon Brando. Yeah. And it's like walking into this Indian restaurant with Nazareer Shah in Prague. And the guys like like, oh, my God, you're with man? Man. Well, you must have the table you wanted. <laughs> and and they couldn't throw, do enough they, for us, you they know. throw people off the table. He he's like, right, he was literally like, get, move, move, sit somewhere a, else. He is Marlon Brando. From he is. Yeah, India. he's a tool. And he's such a sweet man. Yeah, he's a gentle, gentle guy. Go on. Golfing with Sean Connery, being instructed not to imitate Connery in doing so anyway, joking how Eric Bana's Hulk looked like Shrek. It's worth getting a DVD just for these funny anecdotes. The music by Trevor Jones has an identifiable theme, but gets lost in the audio during the action sequences. Sean Connery as Alan Quartermain, as he's wrongfully called in the film, was a surprise catch that no one, not even the producers, expected him to sign up. Jason Fleming can be frequently seen in the crime comedies of director Guy Ritchie. Uh, Fleming plays the role of Jekyll and Hyde. Peter Wilson will be recognizable to fans of the TV show La Femme Nikita. Uh, She plays Mina Harker. Can't say I'm familiar with Nazarudin Shah, but that added to the mystery of his take on Captain Nemo. I will forever see Tony Kieran as Vincent Van Gogh from the Matt Smith era of Doctor Who, the best episode of of Smith's tenure. He brings a sense of artful Dodger mischief as Skinner the Invisible Man. Kieran and Fleming, I can't emphasize enough how hilarious their commentary is. London, 1899. Great year. It was a good year, wasn't it? I remember that year fondly. It was. Um, I think 1899 was the last time that Scotland won the World Cup. Actually, it was. It was the last time they qualified, maybe. Shane West is forgettable and comes off as shoehorned as Agent Sawyer. Stuart Townsend feels like a dollar-store Johnny Depp in the role of Dorian Gray. Uh, Richard Roxburgh was way too young to play Moriarty, a role fit for an actor like Christopher Plummer. On a somber note, this film was one of the last performances for English actor David Hemmings in the comedic bit role as Nigel, uh, the fake Quatermain. Uh, Hemmings uh, would be familiar to fans of Dario Argento for Deep Red. He was in Antonioni's Blow Up. He's He was a big part of 60s uh, British cinema. The leave Extraordinary Gentleman was another comic book poorly brought to the screen. Just when films like Blade, The X-Men, and Spider-Man were a sign of hope for the genre. This film comes off as a cynical cash grab. While it has earned a cult following, it is still a very bad movie. Now, could a good movie be made from this IP? Well, you damn well know it. The timing is right with regards to the current slate of comic book films. Uh, You had proven R-rated comic book movies like Deadpool and Logan that show success, Joker, Out of Nowhere, was a billion-dollar surprise hit for Warner Brothers. The interest in good comic book movies is still there, and as far as I'm concerned, it's always going to be there. Uh, This gives a strong opportunity for non-DC and non-Marvel movies to have their chance. I would say this is a great time to give the League another shot. Um, This portion is going to be similar to my pitch for the third Ghostbusters movie, from all the way back to episode three. Uh, The breakdown of this section goes, uh, first I'm going to discuss the budget, how much should be spent on this movie, Uh, what's a reasonable amount, Uh, then uh, writers and director, who would be the best to bring this material to the screen, and who would be the best director? Uh, Then there's casting, who would be great to fulfill the main roles? Uh, Then you also have the plot, what story does this film tell? Let's get started. The budget for the previously extraordinary gentleman was astronomical. It was in the area of $180 million. Whether that includes the reshoots from the flooding sets uh, in Prague, I can't say for sure. Either way, $180 million is way too much money. A leaked film should cost no more than half that. $90 million, $100 million at the most. If the emphasis is on the characters and above-par sets and not obnoxious action sequences with choppy editing, it's more than doable. Uh, next, the writers and director. We need a mix of writers uh, who will give us a diversity to the comic book sensibilities as well as the proper linguistics of the Victorian era. For the writers, I bring in Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz both of whom worked in the first Thor film and X-Men First Class. I would also add writer Tina Pepler from Downton Abbey to bring in the needed unique sense of Englishness. As for the director, uh, the film is very much low-key. You have the few action sequences, uh, the chase through the Egyptian market, uh, the fight with Hyde in Paris, the fight in the tunnels of Fu Manchu, and the air battle above London. This buildup with the increasing stakes was missing from the previous film. But this decrease in action and focus on more procedural elements fit into the narrative by more. They investigate, conduct reconnaissance. I would like to see Ian Demange in the director's chair. His work on 71 fits the scale that would be appropriate for the League. 71 being a film about a British soldier trapped in Northern Ireland and trying to make it back to friendly soil. The film will be contained with some minor world traveling to add production value. Now for the casting. Honestly, I thought the actors chosen were a little too glamorous for the league. I want actors that can add much-needed grit. With the right makeup effects, people considered beautiful can be made to look less so. The film itself won't be dark and brooding, but the world these characters inhabit is. For the leader, Mina Murray... Alice Eve has the experience and arranged the range to play the meek Mina. She was in her share of both blockbusters and small indie films. While not physically strong, she does show skills in the deduction and piecing together evidence. Having her as a female Sherlock Holmes and able to keep the men in line would make a fitting characterization. Captain Nemo was way too active for someone his age in the previous film. I didn't care for the martial arts... Nemo in the comics is more technologically savvy. He lets his mechanisms and machines do the fighting. Shah Rukh Khan would be a great choice for Captain Nemo, given his prominence in Bollywood cinema, and it would be easy to market the film in that country. For Alan Quatermain, I'm going to go with Michael Caine. He's played strong-willed characters, whether it's in the Nolan Batman trilogy uh harry brown going in style seeing him as a frail opium addicted Quatermain will allow for kane to present himself in a manner that we really haven't seen before for the dual role of henry jekyll and mr hyde i want two different actors but i want them to share the same voice Uh, for jekyll mackenzie crook from the pirates of the caribbean series would be a great fit He has an unnerving appearance and could play a Jekyll that knows all too well the evil within him. Uh, For the side of Mr. Hyde, we need a big, hulking actor. His ability to act in the film doesn't matter so much as his ability just to be menacing and ferocious. I'm going with the performer I felt should have played Killer Croc in Suicide Squad, Brock Lesnar. My client, Brock Lesnar! He has the expressive face and basic agility needed for the character. His voice doesn't matter since Mackenzie Crook is the one providing it. For Holly Griffin, I'm leaning towards Killian Murphy. With Griffin, it's all about the voice, and Killian has an excellent voice at that. There is that uncertainty he has in his characters, from his turn as Jonathan Crane in the Nolan Batman trilogy to his performance in Red Eye he will make for a needed change from the comedic antics of Skinner. And just real quick for the minor characters uh, Campion Bond, who was sort of the liaison between the team and M. Uh, I would go with uh, the original choice for the character, uh, Robbie Coltrane uh, from the Harry Potter films. He, as I said before, he was the original actor in mind for Don Murphy in the previous film. And, unfortunately, his stuff, I guess, was left on the production floor. Uh, They must have had him in the script, but they cut his part out. And I say, bring that character back. And for Professor James Moriarty, Mago McDowell, he knows how to play a good bad guy, and he is overdue for being in a major production again. Uh, In the small part of Fu Manchu, Jackie Chan, It, it would be an amusing cameo. And lastly, uh, for the Rue Morgue sequence, uh, to bring in uh, Detective C. Augusta Dupin, Christopher Plummer. He can be eccentric and bring some clouseau cl- uh, quirk to the elder French detective. All right, lastly, the plot. I think the original story of the first volume would be sufficient for the film. It features a few plot twists, some investigation, and the aforementioned set pieces. The first volume... Shows a lot of great interaction between the characters and could be told well within two hours. Those that want to know what happens in the first volume can read it, and those that want to stay blind to the events of the plot can do so by not reading it. And that's how you do a reboot for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And that wraps up this episode of Mac in the Movies. Thanks for listening. Next time, I'll be taking a look at the films from the career of exploitation legend Al Adamson. Uh, The selections include Blood of Dracula's Castle, Five Bloody Graves, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, Blazing Stewardesses, and Nurse Sherry. That episode will drop on Monday, April 6th. If you enjoy this content and would like to see the program grow, a one-time donation via PayPal would be greatly appreciated. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Any questions or inquiries can be sent to my Gmail. All of that in the description below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Making the Movies. Take care and stay safe, folks.